0: Hello and welcome to the Talking City podcast, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Joe Bray. A lot of stuff, hopefully, to talk about today, even though we've not got the football. We've still got plenty of transfer talk to uh, get our teeth stuck into. Joining me is uh, Simon Bykowski. Sai, how are you doing?
1: Yes, very well, very well. We're we're just pros at this now, aren't we? Just Yeah, we we have had one full start here now, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) No, all fine. No, nobody'll
0: ever notice. No, no, just just ourselves and our uh, uh, stuttering Monday morning uh, podcast routine that we've got going now. Um, so yeah, let's get stuck in. We've got uh, transfers to talk about. We left it last week with uh, Ilkay Gundogan gone to Barcelona. We were expecting Matteo Kovacic to uh, to follow him in the door for City. We've got that. It was a. Uh, fairly impressive start for Kovacic if you can take that from his uh, his, his interviews. Let, let's just uh, get stuck into to Kovacic. It's a 25 million deal plus 5 million in add-ons through the door now. It's a good deal for City that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's kind of, uh, well, it's one of them. I don't think it's a very exciting deal. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, We're kind of never as excited when we've seen players before and kind of Kovacic is a is a known entity um and isn't a, a massive fee. Um but is, you know, a very good sign and I think as you sort of said last week about what he brings, bring, it's just so much experience, um and kind of notable uh when he did sign that City Sporting Director, Chiki Bagiris and said this is the guy who can play six and eight. Um So obviously he's kind of earmarked for, uh, you know, some minutes in holding, some minutes um, further forward. I mean, fundamentally, what it confirms is that he's another versatile player for for Guardiola's squad. That you know means that it's it's not two players in one, but it's one player that can play maybe one and a half um, roles, which is always valued by. You know, a manager who doesn't like working with a massive squad. So um, I think how important Kovacic is will kind of depend if they bring another midfielder in. But yeah, very good signing. Well, we
0: were saying that, weren't we? Where is he going to play? Because he's not going to be a direct replacement for Ilkay Gundogan, but he, he is a player who can play... In that sort of holding midfield role, on his own, he can play further forward. I think he said himself he wants to play, or his favourite position is the left side of of midfield, which sort of is closer <laughs> to an eight than a six, but it's it's another position kind of altogether. So I think yeah, yeah. That, that versatile nature will will help City with with that midfield, especially without Gundogan. But I suppose that's kind of what Gundogan did. I know we're saying he isn't a replacement for Gundogan, who's just gone, but Gundogan could play that holding role if if Rodri wasn't there he could play a false nine he he would play left or right depending on who was next to him I don't I don't want to keep saying he, he isn't a replacement for Gundogan but he is going to fill that role isn't he
1: yeah yeah I, I think when yeah when we say he's not kind of a replacement for Gundogan we fundamentally mean he's not kind of like the the big signing that you'd expect to mm-hmm. replace the treble winning captain um, but there are a lot of characteristics I think kind of the jury's out on whether he will uh, bring the attacking prowess that that Gundogan did and certainly Gundogan in this last season kind of formed a very good relationship with with Haaland for, for second balls and connections that that you know I don't know if Kovacic will but um, you know he he's said all the right things and he's he's 29 so he, he's not um young at all um even though it feels young to uh, to some of us but uh, he i think he's the oldest signing they've made um since like Pep's first season but at the same time he says he thinks he has a lot to learn and city will you know always relish getting their hands on a player and giving them something different um so you know if if all goes well then we will be seeing more from a player that we seem to have seen a lot of um, at kind of Real Madrid, and then and then Chelsea. So you know, then kind of the comparisons will either be more real or or less real.
0: I think there was one of his videos. He was looking at goals that had been scored, sort of iconic goals from City, and he noted that Gundogan was, I think, one of the most improved players, in his words, under under Guardiola. And he also said. I need to score more goals like Gundogan did, because Gundogan didn't arrive necessarily as a as a goal scoring midfielder, but he kind of left as one, especially towards the end of his career. So, if he's looking to improve and he's got is it a four year contract? So, I, I, do, I do think it it may, it ticks a lot of boxes, and we we will talk about the the transfers going around the Premier League. But the I think the twenty five million is is very good value for for a player like that. What it did mean is that. City went forward and said we're not going to pay 105 million for Declan Rice, whether it's connected or not, who knows, but we, we left it again last week where City were open to it, there was talk of a bid, I can't remember the exact timeline whether they'd put a bid in or not, but ultimately City put a bid in, Arsenal raised a bid to higher than City wanted to and City walked away and Declan Rice will Almost certainly become a, an Arsenal player. What what happened there? Is, is that a good decision on City's part, or should they have, have pushed the boat out a little bit more to sign a player of, of Rice's quality?
1: Um, I don't think they needed Rice to the extent that they paid 105 million pounds for him, and and I don't think, you know, I, I think the club recognised that um, to to the point where sort of you know I I feel like you know we we did talk about City's interest in him last week but I I would like to think that anyone who listened to the podcast kind of got across that there was some (laughs) hesitation um, and then wasn't too surprised when when City didn't pay 105 million there's been like a lot of wild theories and um, speculation around the deal and whether you believe that City pulled out because they didn't want to spend 105 million or you believe that Rice turned them down and so that's why they didn't want to spend 105 million fundamentally they didn't they they won't be spending it um and so he he looks like a good signing for Arsenal um but he looks like a kind of a a better signing for Arsenal than he he would have been for for City um and that is helped by the fact that they have got Kovacic because although he is no replacement, he kind of is some kind of replacement. Um and, you know, the if you're talking about Rice who's been kind of excellent as a as a holding midfielder and has the potential to, to push further forward, well you just signed a guy for, you know, not not a massive amount, but not an insignificant amount, um, who will be looking to play play games um, on top of kind of the squad that's that's already there. Um, and so I I, I think fundamentally, it, I've said fundamentally twice now, haven't I? <laughs> that's a very important answer. Um, you know, City were looking at a summer where they could have lost Gundogan, Bernardo, and Phillips. Um, you know, lost, sold, whatever, and kind of at the minute Gundogan's gone, but there aren't kind of offers pouring in for Bernardo Silva. Phillips has made very, very clear that he wants to, he wants to stay. So, you know, yeah, if they were getting rid of all three, then maybe you, you bring in multiple midfielders, but sort of for that price, um, I'm not sure Rice was, uh, was worth it for me. I don't know. Did you think he was? It is a tricky one. I don't, I don't want to stand there and say, oh yeah, they should have never
0: been interested now that he's obviously going to Arsenal, but I do think he is one of the only two players that would have improved that City midfield considerably. The other being Jude Bellingham and obviously he's gone to to Real Madrid. I'm I'm looking at that City midfield and Gundogan's gone. Bernardo's going to go at some point. He's not going to stay longer than his contract you would imagine just given the fact that he's wanted to leave for three years in a row. Kevin De Bruyne isn't getting any younger, like you say, Calvin Phillips is still up in the air at whether he's going to be a success. I think that midfield does need a bit of uh, a transformation in the next few years, whether that means John Stones or Phil Foden coming in. But I think they still need a bit of time. So I, I do think that a, a new midfielder or two needs to come in. But if you're not going to get Bellingham or Rice, I don't think there's anyone else really on, on the market that is worth anywhere near 100 million. So... I think it makes sense for them to sign someone like Kovacic, who is a very secure sign-in, he's experienced, they know exactly what they'll get from him. He'll just keep things ticking over until a better midfielder and a better option becomes available in in a couple of of years' time. So I I, I can see the the thinking from from City in that respect. I don't don't think Rice was worth getting dragged into a, a bidding war for mainly because they've got all the numbers that they have at the moment if if he was available next year or year after I think they would have maybe pushed the boat out a bit more but he's not and they've got the players that they have so it's it's completely hypothetical that so um, now I, I do think city have made the right call on that and he will probably make arsenal stronger he'll probably bring arsenal a bit closer to city but You know, other teams have signed good players in the past and City have won, what, uh, five Premier Leagues out of six, is it now, or six out of seven? I'm losing count these days so, no, I don't think uh, I'm on the same page as you, basically I I think it's a a clever decision to to draw the line at whatever their their last bid was and, yeah, it will be interesting to see how Rice goes because he's clearly a very good player and Arsenal are a very good team and he's the type of player who will take them to a another level I think Uh, we also heard this week from Ferran Soriano and we don't often hear from the CEO but he said something along the same lines and he said if we don't like a deal we walk away and we don't panic and that all sort of rolls into the same thing City didn't like the rice deal and and they walked away and they've they're building a nice little team now of of players they've walked away from and let someone else pay what they feel is over the odds And, and City haven't often been left to regret those decisions have they?
1: No, Um, and again, whether you believe it was Pep Guardiola or Mikel Arteta or, you know, the man on the moon who made City bid for him, Arsenal have paid £15 more than they they would have liked or I can't remember what their opening bid was. Um, So kind of City being involved in it did have an impact on on Arsenal, even if... um, he, he, even if they they would have paid it anyway, they were kind of um, hurried up into into making that bid on the back of City's uh, ninety million bid. So yeah, it's that's it. I think you know City have never been bothered about good players going elsewhere, um, and there's no denying that Guardiola likes Declan Rice very much. But you know, shock horror manager who loves midfielders loves midfielders including Declan Rice and I think you know there are a lot of midfielders that are still of interest to City in this transfer window but it will take something significant for them to to move for one of them because it, they have to tick a lot of boxes and be the right kind of conditions for for a deal and and that was kind of what Soriano was was getting at that they just don't they don't make hasty decisions and they don't make reactive decisions Um, and you know, we had this thing where he says, we, we don't make decisions on a Monday because you can be really (laughs) upset after losing at the weekend, but you've got to, you've got to give it time to, um, to balance out and let your emotions go away from it. And, and city are very, very cold in the transfer market. Really, you know, they set these valuations and they don't really move from them. Um, even if it upsets a lot of people online. Uh, shall we say and uh, and and yeah and they've been vindicated on most occasions probably
0: and with that we will uh, cut to a break and we'll, we will come back um, and discuss potential new incomings and some uh, very interesting quotes from germany overnight hello there welcome back to the talking city podcast we've uh delved into City's midfield additions and the players that they won't sign or might sign. Now let's go into defence and overnight we heard from uh, RB Leipzig and it was some quite interesting quotes about defender Josko Gradial. It was the Leipzig sporting director Max Ebel who has uh, confirmed it seems that Uh, Gvardiol wants to sign for City he said Gvardiol and his agents gave us their desire to move to City we are in talks with City yes for 100 million euros plus bonuses he will end up in Pep's strong hands Uh, the value of the deal would make Gvardiol the most expensive defender in history but it might take a few more days now with quotes as strong as that you've got a lot of City fans excited that uh, a new defender for a lot of money will be coming we've just been speaking about how City don't spend a lot of money and don't appear on that sort of list of most expensive transfers. But if you believe the Leipzig sporting director, then maybe they will in future. Si, what can you tell us about Josko Gavardio?
1: Well, what are we here for other than to (laughs) take away excitement from fans? Um, Yeah, interesting comments on the record from a sporting director. Um, I think there's a bit of confusion as to what he what he actually said and what's been translated and things like that, which is always fantastic when you're getting things from from Germany. And um, yeah, I, I kind of think it it confirmed what a lot of people have been saying, that Man City want Guardiola and, and the player is, is open to a move. Um, it didn't necessarily move the transfer on at all i don't think um city are you know in contact over the fee and i don't think there has been a bid yet but in the sense that you know they're they're in talks over what a good fee would be or an acceptable fee would be um i think kind of i'm not sure city will want to pay as much as that um but i would be surprised if they end up paying significantly less so you know I I fully expect City to sign Guardiol for close to that amount of money a record I expect it to be kind of a record for a for a defender um, but I I don't think it will kind of I don't think he will be seen holding the shirt tomorrow put it that way
0: <laughs> Is this a case of, I mean, we've we've heard a lot of what sporting directors may or may not get up to with, with other clubs, is this a case of Leipzig maybe doing a bit of a play in the transfer market, trying to force City's hand in some way or another? Because it doesn't seem like it's the way that City tend to like to do business. We've seen them deal with Napoli in the past and they're very public and it's not been it, what City kind of like doing and similar with Bayern Munich. They, they like to go behind the scenes and quietly and get things done, don't they? So is this a a move on leipzig's part do you think
1: well i think if a deal had been done then there would have been no <laughs> need to sort of come out and 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 say anything um but it's kind of a reflection of where um leipzig are with the sales they've already made and kind of you know announcing a sale to to liverpool uh that was confirmed yesterday they, they the obvious question kind of was kind of would they be up for selling another of their star players in the same window. And, you know, you get confirmation at least that, yes, yes, they are. Um, But it will take a lot of money. Um, And, you know, this guy's 22, I think, and already huge experience in the Champions League and uh, the World Cup on top of his league. So I don't think there was kind of any disputing that it would take probably a world record fee for a defender to buy him um but there's just kind of you know co- confirmation from from RB Leipzig that like yes this is the strong position that we're in and this is what we will be expecting um so kind of yeah a, a friendly shot across uh city uh in their ongoing negotiations if we
0: fast forward a bit and uh, jump a few uh Put, put, put a few things that are there that aren't there at the moment and, and say yes he's he's definitely going to sign where would he fit in in that City defence he's another central defender there are a lot of central defenders at the moment Ay- Aymeric Laporte for example could barely get a game in last season because there was so many good informed players ahead of him is this a hint that City will continue with that four centre back approach does it mean that Laporte's going it, it feels like he's a very good player and he's worth Buying, but also, City are well stocked in in his position. So, would he move without guarantees of playing time? For example, it's it surely surely you can't you can't have six centre backs and,
1: and only have two spaces for them. Uh, no, I think it's a, a sort of recognition that the four centre backs will continue to be a, a large part of things at City. Um, they're not really in the market for for backs Um and don't well, Kyle Walker is their their only real senior fullback unless kind of Cancelo comes back from from the abyss, which (laughs) nobody's really expecting him to. Um so yeah, he he comes into a very competitive field of of centre backs, think he can play left back, he can obviously play left centre back in a in a three or the or the main centre back. Um and it's one of those things where you know it's it, it is kind of extreme competition for for places like yeah it's a formidable kind of backline to to walk into and expect games but then also it's it's asking a lot for Ake Akanji Stones Diaz um, and Laporte if he stays which kind of there's no guarantee that he does to be available every game and in the same form that they were kind of for the last half of the season. Cause also kind of remember Ruben Diaz wasn't great for the first half of the season and um, you know, massively made up for it in the last few months, but let's not get carried away that these players are going to turn out 10 out of 10 performances all season long and stay free from injury. So it, it, if if your strategy is um all is four center backs then then you need cover and yeah it's a lot of money to spend on one um and we'll probably go into the the top 10 of signings um but if you're going to focus your team's strength on on the defense then uh, then it makes sense to to get the player that you really want
0: no i think yeah you you you've summed up the situation fairly well and I wonder what it means for someone like say John Stones who we saw in the last uh, the last few games of the season basically being a midfielder and do, do we think that he he will be more of a midfielder than a defender in in the next next season coming up and if you have that sort of base of of center backs who can play across the uh, the back four then you have the ability to allow someone like like Stones to to move forward. But we also saw, you know, Ake and Akanji doing that, that inverted role. And I mean, this time last year, I, there was no talk of another centre-back, was there? And, you know, Akanji, the deal comes happens very late in the window and, and we're saying, do they need another one? And it turns out, A, they needed someone as good as Akanji and also, they they did benefit from having having that extra defender in in the ranks and it, it allowed city to be as as versatile at the back as they as they were that season so um i think it's one of them it's there are reasons to say do they need that, that, that they don't need another center back but I think we're we're at the point where we've got to trust Guardiola and and uh, and say they probably know what they're doing and and have a plan and and he will clearly fit into that and you would also say that if they sign Guardiola who as you say is is very young he's got a lot ahead of him and that could be someone who takes City's defense forward and I mean they they are fairly young the defenders but in a couple of years you'll have two or three over thirty and then you. You need someone else coming through, and Gradiol is is one of them. So it might be, as I was saying before about midfielders. There's no one available now. He is available now. So if he is a player that you want in the next five or six years, then you've got to go out and get him when he's there and when he's semi-affordable. Because he seems like a player who, the more he plays, the older he gets, the more expensive he'll get. So uh, you, you can see the logic as well as the the sort of the question marks over. Uh, just how many defenders City have at the moment? You you touched on it, but the fullback situation can City go into a, a new season with just Kyle Walker if Kyle Walker stays at all? Do they need a bit? Of...
1: Well, well <laughs> yeah. I mean the the, the thing is like it, it. I think I looked and City have spent like two hundred and twenty million on um, on defenders under Guardiola and that'll obviously go up to like over 300 um if and when Guardiola joins with, which is a lot and it's you know adding a center back to loads of good center backs but if you look at it across the whole defense um it, if Laporte leaves and there's a very real chance that Laporte leaves because you know he wants more game time and he, and he's been told if he gets a an offer he can go if Laporte leaves you've got Stones, Diaz, Ake, Akanji, um Walker, presuming he stays despite interest from uh, <laughs> from Bayern and, and Rico Lewis. So that that's six players um to fill four positions. So Gradiol joining would mean seven players, including you know an eighteen year old, um to fill Position, so it, it's still not loads of strength in depth. Um, it's kind of, yeah, I, I can imagine that if and when Guardiola joins, there'll be loads of stuff about City stockpiling defenders. But if your whole tactic is, um, you know, four centre backs per game, then um, you do really need more than four centre backs <laughs> in your squad if you go into if you're going to make a success of it. I, I think, yeah, Guardiola's done so many kind of things to how we see the game. And it's kind of hard to talk of not going into a season with fullbacks when kind of Ake can do that role and others like they are playing as, as fullbacks at times. Um, they're just not kind of conventionally fullbacks as, as we know them. Um, so, yeah I mean you would expect Walker if he stays to play a a good number of games, but also um you would kind of think the the center back strategy will see um stones stepping forward and and maybe others stepping forward a kanji did it a few times um and just carrying on as they as they have been because it it was pretty successful um and it will also be interesting to see how how teams kind of adapt and try and And it's also
0: it. the tactic that got City to the Champions League final and, and winning it which they haven't done before. Um I found it interesting we talked a little bit about this last week and how it's just City are getting narrower and I sort of had a look back over the, the transfer dealings under Guardiola and it was, was it his first summer or his second summer where he, he went out and spent sort of two hundred million on, on full backs that were definite up and down full backs Staying wide, stretching the play, and just over time through Guardiola's tactics, or the fact that just some of those fullbacks just haven't worked at City for a lot of reasons. City have just gotten narrower and narrower, and we've seen Giao Cancello came in and they started inverting. So suddenly they're playing with three at the back, and then this season they're sometimes just playing with a two at the back with with the uh, both fullbacks inverting in, or you know John Stones pushing pushing ahead, and it, I mean at times. In the Champions League final, there was just Ruben Diaz back on on his own, which feels unthinkable. But it it just feels like City are getting narrower. It, it was a you know a few years ago, Guardiola really wanted width and you know traditional sort of Premier League style fullbacks that we've we've come to know. And now he's not given up on it, but realised they don't need it. They have enough players to to do that, and they're versatile enough. And the the dealings that we are sort of seeing this summer and and may may or may not come also show that City are probably going to get even narrower next season and like you say continue where where they left off do you, do you think that is by design by Guardiola or just by by circumstance that he just hasn't been able to find that left back or you know he hasn't found a, a proper right back to, to rival Kyle Walker or, or one of many many things
1: Yeah I think one of the things when um, when fans have been wanting a left back or a full back is there haven't been yeah. that many about really um, that could come in and do the job, and you know City really struggled last last summer, and then obviously wouldn't pay up for Kukurea, and that seemed like a a decision that could bite them. But Kukurea kind of got lost in the the chaos that was Chelsea, and you know Sergio Gomez didn't really work out for for City as a kind of stopgap, but. Um, he he's still there, um, and can play some games when when needed. Um, I think kind of when they did have those um, those fullbacks, and fullbacks were so integral to to the team. You saw kind of the the attackers above them more more in, and kind of Sane and and Sterling two guys coming in off the. Um, onto the stronger foot in inside into the middle of the pitch, whereas um, Grealish and kind of Bernardo Silva especially would stretch the touchline and Foden if he if he played and really stretch it out wide so then you have these players coming coming inside. So I think you still have had the width from City. It's just kinda of been further up the pitch. Um and Guardiola's kinda of said, well if he can't get it with with overlapping full backs then we'll just move the players who were um further up a bit wider and have them them come in so that has been like the the adjustment from city to um to make sure that that they can still cover the pitch but also they are kind of defensively um very solid because you, you also get the guys at the back have to kind of stretch across the the line for you know you Bukayo Sakas or Salas or players that are going to really really test them they do have to be be across that so so it is kind of how City have have evolved um and you know if you'd said to me in 2017 or 2021 that Guardiola was going to be playing without fullbacks um I'd have thought it utterly crazy but it it, it says something for what he's been able to do with centre-backs
0: I, I was reminded of the very first game of the season at West Ham where City played Cancelo on the left and Walker on the right and both of them came inside to make a sort of midfield three next to Rodri and I think David Moyes walked in the press conference and said how can we defend that because we've never seen them do that before we never thought that they'd do that and I suppose that was the start of sort of an evolution this season where you do have full backs even when you have two recognised full backs you know you've got both of them coming inside and you're not using them at all. Um, you mentioned one name there, Sergio Gomez. We'll give a little shout out to him. He's uh, turning into a, an attacking winger, goal scorer, provider in, at the under 21 euros as a as a left winger. I mean, that is his natural position. Did we see that coming? Two goals, two assists, Spain in the semi-finals. Does it mean anything for, for City? Because he's not going to play at left wing, is he? It's Surely it's just good that he's getting games and getting... On the score sheet, but can city use that at all that they've got a left back playing in a different position for his country and and doing well
1: um I think it's of use to them that he's looking good on the left wing i think um you know in in certain games there might be um a time to to play him there he sort of he seemed to come on further forward a lot more in kind of the, the final few games when he was getting um, game time. So, you know, it is an option. City kind of have to decide if um, they, they value him enough for what he brings either at left-back or left-wing to, to keep him around the squad or whether it is more worth him either being sold to, to a team that can see more of a use for him or loan to a club that can see more of a use for him because you know you you don't turn in the performances that you do at an under 21 euros if you're not a very good and very talented player so you know he's showing what what he can do it's just whether what he can do translates to to City's system um in the same way that you know James Trafford is having a very good um euros for England under 21s and they're through to the semis and potential meet up with spain in the final if they both make it there but as good as james trafford is playing and is as a goalkeeper is he good enough to dislodge edison or or ortega from the starting lineup if he's not then you know he wants to play first team football so it it probably makes sense to um to send him somewhere else this season, and also
0: Taylor Howard Bell is captain in England and seems to be doing well. And he, we've spoken about the defenders. He's going to be even further down the line if Grady all joins. So yeah, you would expect him to be uh, leaving again in some capacity this season. I think Cole Palmer hasn't been playing much, but did he come on as a plays a midfielder in the final group game? A number six. That's a more interesting. But he's clearly got the talent to play there and has done for. For the uh, city U teams in the past, so it uh, could be quite a productive tournament for for City at, at the uh, under twenty one euros. And you don't always say that if it always feels like England don't fulfil their potential, but they might be doing that this this year by at least getting to the uh, the semi finals. We'll we'll leave City there. We'll come back for a, a brief chat about what's going on elsewhere in the Premier League just after this break. Hello, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. We've uh, discussed City's business, what they will, what they won't do, what they might do, and uh, now we will talk about uh, other deals in the Premier League. We've uh, mentioned Arsenal. They've uh, got Declan Rice. We assume, I don't think there's been official confirmation, but we we can be safe in saying that that will happen. They've also got Kai Havertz from from Chelsea. Let's just go through the, these teams. Do we see Arsenal being stronger than they were last year with, with signings like that? That's almost 200 million they've spent on two players there that's a statement from from them you would think
1: yeah very much so um you know it seemed a kind of statement when they went out in january and got trossard from brighton and tried to get caicedo so um they've <laughs> fair play to the arsenal um hierarchy for sort of backing arteta um arteta was always going to need kind of the the time to to bring in the players that that he wants, and they've had success with with players he's he's brought in. Um, even kind of like Jorginho, who was almost a bit of a a Kovacic signing, maybe of um, someone you wouldn't necessarily expect making a success of moving between teams, but but made a real difference to Arsenal. So, um, yeah, I think they. I'm not going to say they're going to sort of get close to. 90 points again but that that has to be the aim for them um, as they you know sometimes success from the previous season doesn't necessarily translate to loads more points but um, they would hope to at least kind of be in the race for as long um, with with the players and uh, signings that they brought in on top of what they've already done. I think it's
0: Liverpool who are the only side who've finished second to City and then gone on and done it for second season which is when they won in Uh, 2020 after coming second in in 2019, most of the sides that finish second then have a drop-off because they've spent so much energy just trying to get close to City and then they either haven't strengthened or they've just not got anything left and other teams around them have strengthened. So I'd, I'd imagine that's what Arsenal are doing. I think Havertz seems expensive, but also we saw how Arsenal dropped off when they lost Jesus last season. So having another just a, another experienced body up front. I'm not saying he's he's going to score 20 or 30 goals, Kai Havertz, but he is clearly a very good player. If he can play more like he did at Leverkusen than Chelsea, then Arsenal will be better for it. But I, I can see the value in, in that signing as well. So it is interesting that Arsenal have seen seen what they did last summer and and... Notice that they've they've really got to strengthen and put the money where their mouth is themselves. Liverpool were not good last season for a variety of reasons. They've uh, made a decent looking signing in Alexis McAllister and now Dominic Sobersly, who we will have to learn how to say his name. Uh, now he's in in the Premier League. He's always looked good. City have kind of been mentioned around his name in the past, but um, he's going to add to their sort of ranks of attacking midfielders and. I mean surely Liverpool are another one who've got to be better next season as well.
1: Yeah, I think Liverpool would expect to be a lot better and they needed to kind of rebuild their midfield and if they can do it with with these two incomings then that is is very very good business. They they look they look like Liverpool signings. They look like the sort of players you would expect. Um, it's going to be really interesting with Liverpool to see how um, Trent Alexander-Arnold Ar- goes with kind of moving into midfield in the the way that John Stones did um, towards the end of the season and kind of got rave reviews and then did it with England and, and scored, scored a very good goal. So, you know, will that continue? How will that affect the Liverpool defence? Um, and how will... Teams try and try and stop that, um, basically because it it felt like a lot of them had kind of worked out how to get in behind Alexander Arnold at right back. Is there a way you can get in behind him in midfield, or is it a completely different prospect? Um, the other aspect with Liverpool is their attack. You know, Salah was was very consistent again last year. Jota struggled with injuries. Nunez was the the big one who um you know had such a, a debut to remember in the community shield and then <laughs> did not do very much for for the rest of the season and you know looked like he was on the cusp of of really kicking off a few times but never did. Um, you know, if if they can get him firing then then that makes them a completely different proposition. And if this new midfield is is the key, maybe it is, then, you know, we've we've got the liverpool from from a few years back um but it yeah every everything is kind of form and um related to momentum and things just feel like you know even early in the season you can't win the league but you can lose it and liverpool's form early in the season kind of just set the wrong tone um going back to that opening draw with fulham 3 all on the opening day it you know, a, a game that everyone expects them to steamroller and, and they were kind of lucky to to draw in the end and their defensive deficiencies were were well exposed. So so it is gonna be interesting to watch Liverpool because yes they should be a lot better, um but also us and everyone else is expecting them to be a lot better. So the pressure will be kind of more on them. Um so yeah, I think they're probably the most the most interesting team of, of the rest of the rivals. I think rivals. With Liverpool as
0: well, we've seen with City a lot of players take a, a year to, to adapt to the Premier League and or Guardiola. Liverpool have a few players now, Nunes, Gakpo, uh, Luis Diaz, who probably maybe doesn't fit the category as much as the other two, but players who have been in the Premier League now, they're used to it, they know what to expect, and they don't have the Champions League. Are they, they're in Europe, aren't they? They're in the in the Europa League so they will have some European football yeah yeah they're in the Europa League but I I think that those players now have no excuse they should be better and if they all are and and they all find that system to work and and these new signings do I I agree with you they they could be back to challenging City again and it'll be really interesting if, if Arsenal keep that same standard you would expect that Manchester United will want to build on on third place even though they weren't for large portions of the season they were relatively sort of consistent in just getting those sort of 2-1 wins quite a lot of the time and you know mason mount is a similar signing i would say to to kovacic he won't excite a lot of players but uh, a lot of fans but he's a very good player himself and if they can fit him in that system then it's probably a position that united needs so uh, depending on what united do if they can add a striker they will be a force as well and who knows what will happen with chelsea because no idea what what players they have or or have sold at the moment uh you know they <laughs> seem to have a lot of very expensive players with good records but whether they will work under pochettino you don't know you, you know newcastle and, and tottenham are they going to be there again brighton it's, it's we say it every season it's going to be a, a different task for city and it feels more open i think in the early stages of this window I, I could come here, at, you know, eve of the season, and say no, it's it's City's uh, to lose again. But it does feel like there's going to be a little bit more of a top six or seven rather than just a top two. Is that is that a fair assessment? Do you reckon of the early transfer window?
1: <laughs> I I think so. Yeah, I think we could yeah. go top eight, top nine. It's um, if I if I throw another name in Aston Villa. Very 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 mm-hmm. good. Last season, once Unai Emery took over, and I've made some <laughs> very, very good signings so far. This summer, I I think they're I, again with momentum. If they can have a good start, I think they could um, could really be up and around um, the the European places. And you know, Brighton and Brentford will will also be looking to to build on their their campaigns last year, and they're kind of also threats to the traditional top four five six maybe seven with Newcastle so so you've got ten teams there that uh, all all looking um, for European football at the very least so um it, it does feel it, we've kind of felt for a while that you know the Premier League attracts the best coaches even if it doesn't attract the best the best players Um but now with so many good coaches and with, you know, so much more money than the other leagues and you get, you know, Newcastle haven't gone crazy with the money, but the fact that they're able to kind of tempt um, midfielders away from the Milan clubs uh, is a sign of where where they're at and where the league is at. Um, so I think I think plenty of teams will spend heavily this summer, but yeah, it... it does feel like, especially with Brighton and Brentford lasting the distance, kind of last season, and Brighton getting European football, um, and and Villa as well. Um, it does feel like it's kind of yeah, more more open, like you say, than uh, than it has it been. It might be one time. of them years where
0: the the champion gets between eighty and ninety, not ninety and hundred, but it's potentially more impressive because there's a lot more competition in those. Those, as you say, that that top 10 and uh, I, I just think back that season, like City's hardest games were against, you'd have to say, home and away Fulham and Brighton really, not necessarily the, the other big teams. They're probably the teams who gave City the harshest uh, opponents in, in the two head-to-head games. So, you know, it's, it's that cliche, no game's easy and Guardiola always says every season is, is harder than the last one because all the other teams strengthen and, and want to catch you. So um, I think it's as much as we will keep an eye on City's business, I think it's worth keeping an eye on what everyone else is doing because it feels like it's it's going to be a, a genuine season where any team can, can beat anyone else. And you also look at the bottom, you, you'll have teams like, I don't know, Nottingham Forest just stayed up and they ended up taking points off a lot of the big teams. But that's always a possibility as well, that you know, those teams fighting for their lives can... You know, take a point here and there off off one of the big teams, and that can help decide titles. And it's you uh, know, it's 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 set up to be a, quite an interesting summer. And uh, I think we'll leave it there. We'll follow that summer every step of the way. I'm sure, and uh, see what City do with. Uh, with Josco Gavardi and uh, anyone else and you will hear it all first on the Manchester evening news and our various social channels on Twitter if it's still running by the time we're here next week on, on Facebook on YouTube on TikTok <laughs> everywhere uh, you can think to find us we will be there so uh, we will be back next week to talk about all things City in the transfer market thanks very much for joining us